mountain ass car to fast car to the last car till there ain't no cars left. Lots of gusts go by with enough dust flying around to make you cry back down and choke half near to death. What is up, Internet? I know everything there is to know about computers, okay? All the Twitters, I know them. My name is Matthew Kroll. And it keeps them quiet. They just stare at the screen scared shitless. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film this week, Logan Lucky. You know what's funny is I saw this with Jerron Mulligan from Black Man's po- uh, Black Man Can't Jump. Yeah. I was like, oh, I should invite you back because we did Logan with you last time. You oh, should do the sequel. Yeah, 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 yeah. And where is he? Um, uh, he's yeah, not. He didn't make it. He didn't make it. <laughs> he had better things to do. <laughs> oh, well, well, no, well, thankfully our listeners don't know. <laughs> Maybe they do. They can at least do it while they're on the go. This is a special episode. It is. Well, it's not really. Why it's a special, it? it's a special episode for me. Why isn't it just, why just for you? Because it's Steven Soderbergh, someone who I love to talk about. Okay, well, you got you have a whole hour. <laughs> yeah, so let me just uh, step yep, up to the mic here. Yep. Oh, I'm already at the mic. You're let sitting me, up to the mic. Let me just uh, stand on the podium. Yep. I'm already pretty tall, so I don't need to do that. Okay. Audience is just you, yep. so this is awkward. Well, Zoe's around here somewhere. My cat. Uh, Zoe, Zoe, yeah, you could pull pull up. This yep. is gonna be uh, this is gonna be great. Okay. <laughs> I can see you. I can see you falling asleep already. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> I was busy uh, with. Overwatch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you're psyched. I'm, I'm psyched that you're psyched. Great. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good start. Um, I, uh, I, I, I was looking forward to seeing this film. Uh, you watched the trailers, obviously. Yeah. 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 And okay. you did not, or did, did you break your rule? I did not watch the trailers. Okay. Um, I just, watched them afterwards. Just the story of this film. All, I, I found just fascinating. And, um, a much needed sort of palate cleanser. Now everyone listening, uh, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, children of all ages, I, you know how, where I sit mm-hmm. on, on my, uh, and if you don't, it's on the side heavily of Marvel and big action nonsense silly film. I thought it was going to be on that chair that you're on. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the cool thing about this was I, I need, I need palate cleansers. I need, I need. Uh, I think the way you described it last week was that you said that you needed something light after Detroit. And- I mean, well, there's that. That's the other aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, but there, a lot of stars aligned where I felt this film would be very good to to watch and review. Okay. Um. So so I was psyched for it. Uh, sadly, uh, I did like the rest of uh, America in big cities. I did sign up for Movie Pass now that it's nine dollars and ninety nine cents. I did the same thing. Um, so for listeners who don't know, Movie Pass is a service that uh, allows you to basically pay a monthly fee and go to as many movies as you like for that month uh, based on that monthly fee. Uh, n- traditionally, or well, not traditionally, but uh, up until now, that pass has cost fifty dollars. So the actual uh, economic fulcrum that made it worthwhile yep. was meant that you had to go see five movies in yep. a month. Which which for me is not is actually doesn't because we you. really only see four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but MoviePass, in an effort to try and broaden their service, and rightly so, uh, dropped the price from fifty. I, I think they had dropped it previously to thirty as well. Uh, dropped it down to nine ninety nine or nine ninety five. So. Yeah, um, which meant there was a huge influx of people bu- buying into it. AMC is all pissed off about it because AMC doesn't want to have people paying nine nine dollars ninety five to another service for their ticket. It is a really weird. It's so strange. It's a, it's a strange uh, uh, service that basically circumvents the way you buy tickets. And I think the, I think so. There's two parts to this. Yes. There's an operational part, which is that um, what they do is they probably buy tickets in bulk and reimburse themselves for the tickets that they purchased. And what they what they give you is like basically a Mastercard. Yes, it is and, a Mastercard. I have and, it in my wallet. Yeah, and then you go to the movies and you use that Mastercard to buy a ticket, and then they 
exchange what you've paid them for one of the tickets that they bought. Now, here's the weird part. This is the part that kept me away from it for so long, even to $30, was you have to be in a general proximity. You have to sign in on an app that finds your location and locks you in to make sure you're at that theater. Mm -hmm. Then it allocates the funds to your MasterCard. Then you can buy the ticket with your MasterCard. So what you can't do with this, which is a big problem for premieres and things uh, with assigned seating and whatnot, Mm -hmm. you can't like buy your tickets two weeks in advance. Well, right. actually you might be able to, if you walked to the physical <laughs> theater to do it. I think it also prevents you from like giving your movie pass to other people. Yes. It, it, has yeah. to, it has to be tied to your and, and I get it. Like there, there are, I, I understand, but I still, uh, you know, I'm not uh, an economist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand how, Oh, well, so they'll the, make money and, and, oh, the, well, the, it's the Facebook, Google model of business, which, oh, because what, they take your information. They're taking your That's information. Right. They're selling the data and analytics that, and, and in fact, the company behind MoviePass is an analytics company. Okay. So, so they're not really interested in the movie. You know, they basically just want to collect data on your movie going habits. And uh, why is AMC mad? Because they didn't think of it first. Uh, I think AMC is mad because it again, lowers their ticket price, like, but not for them. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's- well, I'm not sure. I'm, again, because you're paying $9.95 a month, I'm not sure how. But MoviePass is still paying full price for the ticket and the difference. They might not be. They might be paying, uh, they they might be buying in bulk, uh, like, you know, like I do from Costco or something like that, where you can pay, pay for a single movie ticket for $10. I just and don't then- see AMC even starting that down that road. So I would, I would imagine the only, and again, this is all purely hypothetical, but I imagine the only way that MoviePass actually lets this, ha- or sorry, that AMC allowed this in the first place is they really can't control legally who buys their tickets for the amount of money that their tickets are being sold at. So, and I think the difference between nine ninety nine a ticket and how much, how much your data is actually worth, which is funny because it actually has a pretty decent monetary value. Your, yeah. your habits online and in the world. I think um, aggregated your value. It, sure. Like, like it over your, I, over your lifetime. Holy no, 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 shit. No, 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 no. What, what I see, nobody cares about what you see. Nobody cares about what everyone in Astoria is seeing at one given time yeah. is worth money. Yeah. So, um, I think that's where the, the price, and again, I don't know. It's just strange. And now AMC is bucking back. Uh, uh, they're like, well, they, they, they wanted to fight back, but unfortunately the only way they could do it is a kind of a, a shitty thing, which is that they would have to cancel MasterCard payments and that's not something <laughs> they can do because and this is, this is how movie pass circumvents the whole system. As far as the movie theater is concerned, you're just using a MasterCard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, it's so smart. Um, so I'm sure there'll be some sort of legal battle to ensue to follow this again. Uh, read that book, uh, uh by, uh, Edward J. Epstein, the, uh, economic of Hollywood. It's a really worthwhile read in the way in which movie theaters recoup money um, from movies. And the thing and the thing that I found interesting uh, in in particular to the context of some things we've talked about in the last couple of weeks is, uh, you know, making the experience at a movie theater better. Yeah, um, there's two sides to this one because it's technically cheaper for me. I, I won't care as much about yeah. the sort of premium. Mm-hmm. The others. So that's good. Yeah. The bad side is if they are actually losing money the movies. Th- yeah. Then that will hurt things as well. But I just don't see that happening. I really believe that they're paying full price per ticket. I'm not sure how exactly it works to be honest with you, but, uh, I'm sure if you're a listener and you do know some, yeah. perhaps some of our listeners please. are economists or have read more about movie pass than we have. Uh, if you have, please write us in at only podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at only Please leave us a review. Even if you don't like us. Um, Wait, no, don't do that. Oh yeah. Sorry. Let me backtrack from yep. that. Please leave us a review, especially if you like, there us. you go. Uh, 
Um, no, that's not true. If you if you don't like us, leave us some constructive criticism. We, right. we appreciate that. Right. I'd rather the constructive criticism come in an email, however. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, biggest copy choosers. That's we'll ta- also we'll, true. We'll take what we can get. Yes. Um, Just talk to us. Yeah. Go to iTunes, you, the only podcast about movies, and um, and leave us a review there. We would greatly appreciate that. As people have been doing over the last few weeks, we appreciate everyone who's been writing us in and emailing. Uh, I think Detroit uh, hasn't. I I think the movie Detroit hasn't been seen a lot, so we haven't had a lot of listener feedback on Detroit. Um, but but if you got some, send it. Yeah, and definitely uh, Detroit's going to lead us into a conversation in a couple of weeks' time about race and representation that I think is going to be really interesting. We've got a couple of really special guests coming up yeah. for that episode. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I've been doing some reading, uh, Good. As, as I have want to do from occasion. Uh, Good. Books that I've uh, wanted to read and now have an opportunity to do so. You do read good. I do read good. Yes, I am a very good. Uh, You're a good reader. Good uh, reader of words. Yeah. <laughs> words Words are your friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not whole sentences, just words on right, occasion. Right, right. If you send me clickbait, I'm going to read the shit out of it. You will. <laughs> At least the headline. Uh, but, but beyond beyond all of the nonsense we've just talked about, we're talking about Logan Lucky this week. Well, and I think the movie pass discussion really ties into the Logan Lucky discussion. Yes, because it's all as, different. Yeah. It's all different ways we're going to be able to see film. Because what we're talking about is money in the movie. What well, kind of all different ways to acquire the ticket to see the film. Right. Yeah. Uh, Steven Soderbergh is uh, uh, a favorite filmmaker of mine. As I said, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had an odd experience where I got to meet him very briefly. Um, And it was one of those awkward ones where it was like, I know too much about this person's career and I uh, I know that I shouldn't continue this conversation for too long because it's going to be awkward. He's a very lovely man. You he had was, the editor's conundrum. Yeah, yeah. He's very lovely. You know, and the thing, you want to do that thing where it's like, I want to talk to, it's it's like in The Simpsons, like, remember an episode such and such when this happened? And they're yeah, like, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to do that thing where you talk about this. I used to teach um, uh, an editing class and uh, we would always culminate the editing class with one scene from Out of Sight, which I think is uh, a masterful uh, example of editing. You know what they should teach in editing class? What? Uh, sort of what I said, the editor's conundrum is yeah. when you're working in uh, the industry as an editor, which I have done for a bit, uh, it, it's, it becomes increasingly difficult, say, at like rap parties or things like that when you see the talent yeah. and you want to go like say hi and have like an actual conversation with them. It's the same thing as a Soderbergh thing for you because you, you've you've spent so much time with them in yeah. a sense, but they don't fucking know you. Yeah. So like it's it's always like, oh, and, and you get this weird, like if you're self-aware enough, I and I, me and a couple other people I know obviously we try to be, yeah. uh, but I also know some people that absolutely are not. And you see them go over and you see the talent's eyes just sort of glaze over and yeah. you're just like, Oh, so they should teach that honestly in just, just, just like half a day. Just, I, I just make a, sure you don't go up to talent and act like you're their best friend. I have a th- theory about commercial editing, which is that it is uh, less about your talent and more about your ability to manage people and, and, and your speed. Yeah, and 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 to basically inspire confidence in you so that people will leave you alone. And how much shit you can take yeah. thrown in your face yeah. from all different directions. <laughs> uh, but back to Steven Soderbergh, <laughs> his uh, his first film, Six Lies and Videotape, uh, inspired me to make one of my first short films at when I was at college. Um, I you know absolutely when I watched Six Lies and Videotape for the first time, I was just blown away at the the economy of it all. Sure, and the, and the idea that you could make um, uh, basically internal conflict between two people as dramatic as any action movie. Right, 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 right. Um, so that was amazing. I, I just, you know, um, fell in love with Steven Soderbergh at that moment. I listened to his commentaries. His commentaries are great for everything. And then there's an interesting thing that happened with Steven Soderbergh, which is, uh, and this is going to all lead into Logan Lucky, which um, is that he 
immediately following uh, Six Lies and Videotape, he released one, two, three, three films, which actually four, actually technically five. They the, the last two kind of came out simultaneously uh, in conjunction with uh, a third film. So technically there's a period of six movies. You just spent a lot of numbers. Get to it. What are you talking about? He made, he made basically three failures in a row. Okay. And he talks about, he talks about this uh, himself. He, 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 uh, at the talk that I went to of his, he said like, look, what I did as a filmmaker, nobody could do today. It's important that like Barry Jenkins, who just made Moonlight, the next film he makes has to be a hit. You can't do what he did, which was that he made three films that nobody saw, but, and completely flopped. If you remember Six Lies and Videotape won the Cannes Film Festival. It also won the Oscar for Best Screenplay. Sure. Uh, so it was a big hit. He was only 26 years old at the time. Um, and then he went on to make three films that nobody saw, nobody watched. They were all financial failures, but he says they were the most important films that he made because it they allowed him to figure out what kind of filmmaker he actually is. Okay. And now, what did he say why you couldn't do that today? He just thinks that the economic pressure to have success now is so is so great that no one can have a failure and bounce back effectively. Like if you think about, say, Josh Trank with, fan, you know, like first off, the thing that happens is if you make a small indie now, you're jumping straight into Jurassic World or Fantastic Four <laughs> right. or whatever. And, and it's hard, like, you know, Mark Webb, uh, who directed The Amazing Spider-Man after 500 Days of Summer, has just jumped back with a film called uh, Gifted, I believe. And nobody's going to see that movie. So, you know, like those kinds of films aren't going to do well in this market because we're all saturated with what they're doing with big superhero movies, tentpole movies. And they're using indie filmmakers for those, whereas exclusively it used to be, you know, you had to be a big filmmaker. To sure. Do those and they're doing that to save money. Yeah. So, so he, he was just kind of like malaising about that period. Save, his time. Sorry, save money and uh, maintain control. Yeah. Um, then an interesting thing happened. He basically got um, put onto a film out of sight, which is an adaptation of a Elmore Leonard novel came out around the same period as Jackie Brown and get shorty, which were also yep. Elmore, Elmore Leonard novels that were uh, being made at the time. And uh, it's featured two big star. Well, moderately big stars at the time, George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steven Soderbergh suddenly had a crisis of conscience. Now, again, I'm para- this is one of those weird things where I, I, I'm paraphrasing what I believe is happening with Steven. That. It's so nice. You could be here with <laughs> yeah. us today. I hope he listens in because I hope he realizes how much of a fan I am. Uh, do but, you really want him to know though? No, re- no, okay. I really don't. Actually. So let's not, let's be careful what we wish for. <laughs> um, but so at, so he did a thing he, and Peter Jackson did this, the exact same thing when he got to make King Kong as well, by the way, uh, is that he knew he was going off to make this big Hollywood studio production and and in the wake of that, he was like, I need to make something tiny, weird, and only I could make just to make sure that once I've gone off into this like Hollywood movie deep end, that I don't lose my sense of self. And he made this fantastic movie that's available on the Criterion Collection, by the way, not on Blu-ray, only on DVD called hmm. Schizopolis. Oh. And Schizopolis is this weirdo vignette movie featuring himself, uh, basically a series of odd, odd uh, vignettes about this small town and a, and a character played by himself and uh, going through a domestic, uh, domestic upheaval. But it, they do, he does things like people speak in other languages that he's just made up. Like, uh, uh someone walk in and go gaslight drawer set window computer screen. And the other person will respond and go microphone, microphone cap, uh, keyboard. And like, they'll have this whole conversation where the, they're emoting in the correct way, but using incorrect Nonsense language. words. Nonsense words. It's gotcha. really great. Okay. Uh, he also did a film called Grey's Anatomy at that point, uh, not based anywhere on the TV show. It was based on, uh, Spalding Gray's, uh, monologues, um, <laughs> based on Spalding Gray's body. Yeah. 
Well, Swall and Gray committed suicide a few years ago, so... so Well, great. <laughs> I got to see Swall and Gray live. Uh, he's a wonderful, gifted uh, spoken word performer um, and writer and actor. You've seen him, and he, yeah, unfortunately, he committed suicide uh, a few years ago. Um, so sorry to bring the mood down. Anyway, what has happened since <laughs> then Christ. is that Steven Soderbergh has basically managed to carve out a career for himself where he's done... Uh, I guess you could call it one for the studio, one for him. Yes, that's what something I want to talk about. It's it's a great but it, thing but it's, to do. It's not quite that. It, it, if you look at his one for the studios, they are films like Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, and Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Um, and doesn't mean a studio movie doesn't have to be bad. Shahir. No, they that's, can be good. That's what I mean. His his studio films aren't necessarily like uh, pandering. Um, so his, you know, and then he does one for me, which is films like uh, Solaris, mm -hmm. Bubble, um, The Good German, The Girlfriend Experience, Shay, the 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 two part four. You know, you would love this. Um, each each film's three hours long about uh, Shay Guevara, mm -hmm. um, and and he's managed to carve out this quite this really interesting career, which is that it's balanced by both uh, a, a genuine pleasurable studio experience. So a film like Ocean's Eleven is is a is an all-out studio film. It features the biggest movie stars on the planet, but it has kind of an indie spirit to it. And it is kind of pleasurable in the way that old studio movies were. You know, like yeah. it's not it's not like it's not dumb. It's it's fun. It's genuinely fun uh -huh. and entertaining. Um and and then do these like kind of weird little little movies like um uh, like the girlfriend experience, which is a real, I mean, girlfriend experience is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's who Steven Soderbergh is. Now, where are we with Logan Lucky? Steven Soderbergh decided to try an experiment with Logan Lucky, which is that he wanted to cut out the studio entirely because his feeling is that the, the, the mid range studio film, the $30 million studio film with, you know, maybe a name attached to it, but it's an interesting conceit, um, is kind of going away. Yeah, it's it's a hundred percent. It is. There's no question. So what he wanted to do was remove the studio from that equation and keep creative control entirely in his own hands. Um, and he did that by doing two things. First off, he raised his budget by selling off all the foreign distribution rights. So he mm -hmm. raised the full $29 million uh, for that was the budget of Logan Lucky by selling off all the foreign distribution rights. And he did that by having a couple of movie stars attached to this movie. One, of course, is Channing Tatum. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing he did was sell everything except the movie showing up in a movie theater. So uh, to pay for advertising, prints of the movie, uh, post theatrical lights, uh, rights like HBO, Netflix, VOD, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then he puts the movie into the movie theater using a smaller distribution company and pays them a flat fee instead of them taking a cut of the of the box office receipts. Right. Um, and the company in this case is Bleecker Street, which I believe uh, is owned by Kevin Spacey or is in some part uh, partner yep. Kevin Spacey. Um, so that's where we get to with Logan Lucky. He, it's basically this strange little experiment where he's making kind of a populist film yeah. that has no studio attached to it, where he raised all the money himself and he's trying to maintain complete creative control. So two, two sort of small things about this. One, I love the advertising campaign for this movie and the length that it was and how it was ran. 
Okay. Because Tell me about it, I, didn't, I didn't. So so basically, you know how normally like uh, a big time director, if a movie's coming out, uh, or, or even if large actors are attached to a project, you see the trailer like, and you probably put your headphones in, so maybe you don't realize it as much. <laughs> but like, you see it months just over, and especially when you see as many movies as we do, just yeah. over and over and over again. I'm just like, I don't give a shit, and I understand repetition. Not everyone sees as many movies as we do. Um, you know, blah blah blah. But this was very pointed, and it was it was timed right at the end of the summer. Yeah. And it it was, I think, honestly, other than uh, maybe one Internet trailer way back when I didn't see trailers for this film in theaters or even any advertising anywhere before at least maybe a week. You know, there's actually actually a financial reason. I know, because but what I'm saying is he spent his money. They spent their money wisely. Yeah, he he said basically uh, he had a small budget for um, trailers and posts and that sort of thing. And he decided that, well, the smartest thing to do is to release those right before the movie gets released. Don't Mm -hmm. release them like a month out or a year out. And I think it is. I'm hoping and we'll talk about money that it's made so far. But I'm I'm, that seems like a logical thing to do. So I'm I'm very impressed with the restraint and, and very impressed with the sort of the the fiscal responsibility and almost savvy of it. The other, the other aspect is, um, and this is, we, I feel like we've been sort of lavishing praise on this kind of style of thing, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. The downside to this, obviously, or maybe not as obviously, but I don't know, uh, is not anyone can do this. No, Steven Soderbergh. Steve, Steven Soderbergh can do this because he's played the game so long. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, all, you know, he's he's won uh, Oscars for Best Picture and Best Director. He's the I think he was the first director in a long time to be nominated against himself. He's been on the wheel for a long time before he broke the wheel. Yeah. So uh, he's not Daenerys Targaryen. He is more like a Jon Snow. I guess. Well, or more like a. Well, we'll, Ned. we'll find out. Yeah. We'll oh, find no! out. By the time this episode releases, we'll probably know. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. I just, I, I think that's just something, even though it is sort of an amazing accomplishment and something I'd like to see more of, especially from filmmakers that I enjoy yeah. uh, to let, let them have creative control. Cause that's why I'm going to see these things. It's not because Sony's putting out a thing. Like, do you know what I mean? So uh, shout out to Sony. Um, uh, well, let's, let's talk about the numbers just before we get into the movie. Sure. And it's not good. I know <laughs> all of the hope. Uh, the hope is, I mean, this is a $29 million movie uh, with stars uh, attached for a back end. And unfortunately at this stage, uh, I mean, it's only been out a couple of weeks and maybe it'll find a new home on home release. This but, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. I but, think that's what will happen, but it has earned $15 million. So it's been out a week, right? At this uh, point, two weeks at this point. Has it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, um, the interesting thing about this, and I wish we had more sort of full analytics available, um, but I would imagine that this film will stay in theaters longer due to the timing of its release and therefore due to positive word of mouth. Uh, I think it will still slowly trickle away. Like, I honestly don't think it. I mean, I maybe this is a little bit more hope than than uh, logic, but I don't think 29 million in the theater is uh, is a, a far fetched idea. Right. Uh, well, you know, obviously there's a thing that, uh, that happens with movie marketing, which is that it's not just the budget of the movie that you need to make back. It's the, it's the marketing of the movie that you need to make back. And in the case of big studio films, that's actually, uh, that can be significantly more than the film itself. Sure. But this, I mean, I mean it felt like they kept it lean. Well, to an extent, but there is still, you know, like it's actually, it's a lot more than $30 million that they need to make back. And if they've only made back half the budget at this point, they're in, they're in some, in some trouble. Now, 
I think that that this is an interesting point now. So I gave. I, I hope that the the sort of rambling history of Steven Soderbergh. I think it's didn't, important. Didn't seem uh, superfluous because I think it points to a couple of things that I think are interesting about this film in particular. One is that he is a populist. Two is that he's a, he has an experimental bent. Three that there is a lot riding in terms of the way this film is financially set up. And because of that, to me, this film feels like a calculated experiment. Yeah. And if it's a calculated experiment, um, I, I think one thing that it could do well in, and one thing that it is actually really possibly the place where they could make a lot of money is I think it, it speaks to a part of American audiences that don't get seen in film a lot. It's the NASCAR driving or yeah, they might get seen, but not in a uh, actual caring sort of realistic. And I, I use realistic in a weird term, but like, wait, not just like a caricature or, or, but ring, ding, 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 ding. But, it, but it's that thing. Like whenever New Zealand's mentioned in a film, you know, New Zealand, oh, you is, jump on that. We jump like, like there was a, a thing when in mission impossible three, Tom Cruise mentioned Lake Wanaka, which is a, a lake in New Zealand during some monologue. And it, it boomed tourism in New Zealand because of that. And also so crazy. New Zealanders turned out in droves for that movie just to hear him say Lake Wanaka, um, which is crazy. But, but I think what, what I mean by that is that this, is a, this film is essentially Ocean's Eleven in the Midwest. Uh, is West Virginia in the Midwest? Is that kind of the geog American geography? I'm really bad at. No, let's go with that. Uh, I've lost all street credibility immediately <laughs> as I talk about. You that. never had street credit, America. In New Zealand, you got street cred. I got street cred yeah. up the wazoo. Yeah, yeah. in Lake Wanaka, you can. I'm, I'm a big deal in Lake <laughs> Wanaka. <laughs> um, but uh, um, that that's where I think the real potential for this film to to like make money. Now the question is is whether that audience turns out and pays money to see this movie. Like whether yeah. that is an audience that that wants to see themselves on screen. Well, I think I think with it being a calculated experiment, even if it doesn't make all of its money back monetarily, uh, I think the data that they accrue on all this sort of experimental, uh, not only production, but release and distribution will be helpful moving forward. Much like MoviePass that we were talking about beforehand. Like it's all about data. It's all about what you sort of do with it. Yeah. And I hope that even if this is not a, uh, you know, a dollar dollar bill y'all success uh, that Steven Soderbergh uh, takes this, figures out with all the data that he's gotten and doesn't just give up on trying to do this again. If he, do, if he wants to. I think the other thing with Steven Soderbergh is he is uh, very encouraging of new filmmakers as well. Um, he has had a long history of supporting new young filmmakers and one, including one Christopher Nolan, by the way. Uh, he was one oh, of the little Christopher Nolan. He was one of the first people to watch Memento and uh, he was very disappointed when nobody wanted to distribute Memento uh, and he encouraged a few people to get behind uh, that film. He also, I, I read this is an anecdotal story. He was at one point his friends apparently had to like intervene because he was giving so much money to young filmmakers. <laughs> um, I mean, it, that's better than like a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he also, owns, if that's uh, your vice, he also owns a tequila company and a few restaurants. So, Ooh, you know, whatever. Well, <laughs> but uh, da, 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 da. Um, so uh, I think one thing that this will be really useful for is like encouraging new filmmakers to get on this kind of bandwagon. And hopefully, you know, maybe we'll see, maybe this might be, um, 
you know, he called it the the back nine of his career as a filmmaker. Uh, but if it is, we might see him evolve into a studio hit or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that, well, well, I don't know about that with his with the analogy of what he's trying. Well, kind of like a pseudo studio in a weird way. I, I think he would make it. Is, is, oh no, I think he'd be great at it. But it's like he's literally trying to say, you know, so that I'm okay, studios. Thanks so much. So he'd have to like sort of make his own. Yeah, I get his own studio. Like and Warner just, Brothers isn't going to be like, ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. But of course, he is the person that you would want to run a studio. He is cine literate. He is. He makes money. You know, like he he he's the kind of person that should be behind a studio making decisions about what movies get and made. And he knows how to write stories about stealing money. Exactly. So he's he's perfect for it. Yeah. Um. And oh, by the way, just just out of curiosity, because you know he he went into sort of a self exiled retirement recently. Sure. Uh, and this was the as movie we all that, do. This, this is the movie that came out in that period. He also uh, made The Nick, which is the best show on television that very few people have seen. Hey, and remember when we take breaks and then just make TV shows? Yes. That's our vacation. Go watch The Nick. The Nick is phenomenal. And and I will bring The Nick back up in our race and representation conversation as well, because it is it does some phenomenal things okay. in, in terms of that. Um, uh, so with all that said, Matt, tell us what Logan Lucky is about. I would be delighted to recount the glorious IMDb description of this film. Oh. Two brothers attempt to pull off a heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. That's it. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> That's all they got. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more than that. What'd you think of it, man? Uh, I dug it. I really, uh, it's one of the few cases lately. Well, I, I don't know. It's, I can go back and forth on that. That um, my... No, I'll say it. it's one of the few cases lately that my hype level was exceeded by my in, like my enjoyment exceeded my hype level. For okay, it. It, it it overperformed. Yes, yeah. for in my brain. Okay. Um, now lately it's either things surprise me or things are just equal it or sometimes disappointing. Uh, high dark tower, but uh, <laughs> that was my fault. That wasn't well. It's everyone's fault. Uh, but no, I really dug this. Um, I really liked how um. Like, like kind of like what you said, the idea of main characters in this sort of like Midwestern or like, you know, you know, even down South, depending on where you're, where you're looking at this from, uh, you know, normally it's, it, they're, they're kind of seen if you're, if you're, if you're playing, uh, really sort of caricatures of these people, they kind of just seem, uh, I, I mean, in most film, a little bit losery or like a little bit sort of just like, like bumbling around. Yeah. Uh, and it was really refreshing to actually see like. It's not just like blunderers with a heart of gold. They actually like at the, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, but not saying anything quite like a lot of these characters outsmart a ton of other characters that basically uh, don't think they have it in them. Right. And I, I really dug that. Uh, the characters are all great. I love, oh God, introducing Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. That's just like, it's always on all the advertising in the film. It says yeah. introducing Daniel Craig. And you could just see the joy when he's playing Joe Bang in this movie <laughs> that he, the, the exuberance, he like can't wait to keep doing stuff like this. I know he's got one more bond in him. And look, if you can't blame him, he's, he makes a great bond, but you can see that he just checked out. But if someone threw that much money at me to be bond and I didn't want to be bond. I'd be like, yeah, sure. I'll be bond. Whatever. It's not even just the money. It's like, it's like people treat you like James Bond. There's a great documentary on, uh, on Hulu right now, uh, about George Lazenby, the guy, the Australian who played uh, bond. Right. Documentary is called becoming bond. It's fascinating. It's a, it's a really incredible insight into the line at which the line between which someone believes an actor is the character. So good. Um, so yeah, I, I can see, you know, certainly Daniel Craig relishing the opportunity to do 
everything that Bond is not in this movie. You yeah. know, like every, the, whatever Bond is, is not in this sure. movie. And it's not who Daniel Craig is in this movie. Uh, and also just, uh, you know, a little side. Oh, and actually all the characters seem to work great for me, except for the Seth MacFarlane character. Oh, uh, he see. felt a little bit out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the second time uh, that uh, Steven Soderbergh has used an American doing an English accent uh, really badly. The last one being Don Cheadle in Ocean's Eleven doing his Cockney accent, which was pretty bad. But it's not even the accent man like look i love I, yeah. I like seth mcfarland's writing i was about to say i love it i don't i like it i yeah. think it has a good place i also think we're inundated with it at least in the bubbles that i inhabit yeah uh too much and it uh, yeah it it has this lately the last couple years at least again in my opinion has this weird like try too hard mentality to it yeah where like before it was like almost innocent and doofy and lovable and now it's like look how innocent and doofy and lovable i am like yeah. it, that's sort of what i got and then of course um catherine uh catherine yeah. waterson uh just for purely selfish reasons she's uh she's so this film was populated by a couple of english people doing yeah. american doing uh by the way uh west virginia is in is eastern to America. Gotcha. So Northeastern, I guess, kind of thing. Sure. Uh, I, I had to do my geography lesson there, but we've got a few people doing North, you know, Eastern uh, coast accents yeah. really well. Yep. Daniel Craig and, and Catherine Waterson. Yeah. Um, so I dug it. Um, there was obviously a couple of problems. And then um, to be honest, and we'll talk about it once we get towards the end of the film. Uh, I don't know if it was the editing or the way the story was told or how it was presented, uh, but I had some issues uh, following exactly what happened near the middle of the third act. And and normally <laughs> you're not the only one. Yeah. 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 Normally. Well, we'll talk about it. I, I don't think it's all my fault. It could be, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll see. You have a lot of internalized blame going on, don't you? Like Dark Tower is your fault. The no, the Dark it. Tower. It, my <laughs> hype. My hype for Dark Tower is a hundred percent. Yeah, I'll blame myself. Like my There's my a lot of flagellation. My on seeing that world. trailer and just blindly being like, I want this to be good. Therefore, I think it's going to be good. No, it was actually it's actually the the uh, the curse of positive thinking. Right. And uh, that in that case, it didn't pay out for me. Right. Uh, now it's their fault. They made a. I box just, film it's my fault for being excited about their shit box film I that i saw just, all the signs for we don't go to the movies together very often but i would love to see you walk out of a movie going god damn it matt why'd you do this to yourself yeah or, and then i you know <laughs> i get the rope uh <laughs> so sheer what did you think of one of your favorite director's newest movies i am a little bit on the fence on this one Ooh. uh i i think as a calculated exercise i can understand why he made this movie which is that he wanted to basically the most successful films steven soderbergh has made uh the oceans films uh and they're not my favorite films of his they're good um they're they're lovely they're entertaining although um, i don't think i saw 13 13 now this is the thing 13 is steven soderbergh uh, <laughs> I've heard of him. I heard of him. Look, and I and and this is one of those things where I'm so passionate about this person's career. I've seen every film he's made, every TV show he's made. I've, I've I, I follow, and I'm and you know he inspired me as a filmmaker, as a young filmmaker. He probably shouldn't listen to this. He probably should not listen to this. Uh, Stephen, if you st- just stop right <laughs> now, Stephen, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Um, and look, the uh, a couple of things about Steven Soderbergh again. <laughs> This is a you're guy. talking about like Edgar Wright for me, or like you're you're just reacting in this sort of same regard. 
I love it. A lot of people don't know this. Maybe, you know, maybe people who, who are inside baseball kind of know this. Steven Soderbergh is pretty much Robert Rodriguez without the kind of self-awareness uh, or the salesmanship of Robert Rodriguez in that he is his own DP. He is his own editor. Uh, Peter Andrews is, is his DP, but it's actually him. Uh, so he shoots all of his own movies. Uh, he, for the most, I, I think Marianne Bernhardt, who is his editor is actually him. Uh, Wait, what do you mean is actually him? He, he, he has just, he just used pseudonyms for those, for those roles. Oh, and I actually heard that the writer might've been a pseudonym for this movie. Rebecca Blunt in the, the writer of this movie is, is most likely him and is in the case. What the hell? Uh, and I think there's initially there was, the reason was, was that uh, it's the reason why Robert Rodriguez can't shoot his own films anymore is that if you're part of one union, you can't be part of another. Um, so it was just a way to circumvent that. But, but, but look, this guy is a talent upon talent. And, and, and the problem is, is there's only been two, one other film where I felt that Steven Soderbergh has phoned it in. And I don't think he's, he's never phoned it in on his smallest films, you know, a film like the girlfriend experience, which he shot with a DV cam. Um, you know, like he, he, if you listen to the commentary on it, he is as invested in that as every decision in Ocean's Eleven. The only other film I think he's phoned it in is Ocean's 13. Ocean's 13 is a definitely a studio, let's just rehash what we have here kind of film. Um, he's, he's definitely, when he phones it in though, it's still better than most. And that's the case with, with Logan Lucky. So you think he phoned it in here? I think... I think here's the thing. Steven Soderbergh has no problem risking risking money, which is why he'll do a film like The Girlfriend Experience or The Informant, which is weird. Yep. Or or you know, 4 hours about Che Guevara out in the out in the wilderness. I think when it came to the case that he was trying to prove a point with you know, like, can I raise my own money to make this film and I need it to be a success? I think he fell back on the tropes that made him so successful with Ocean's Eleven. And I think that this, sure. film, you so, know, the, the, the title here, you know, like that, that, that is self-referential in this movie is Ocean 7-Eleven. And I kind of agree with that. My, my, my main issues here are, I think the execution of the heist are wonderful. They're, they're everything that we would expect from the man who rehashed Ocean's Eleven and gave us film like Out of Sight as well. Out of Sight to me is this clear masterpiece. Okay. Um, but I think that the writing of this particular film, uh, which is one of the few scripts that he's written himself, uh, tends to let it down a little bit. I, I'm, I'm, I think there's a, there's a wager place that you, that you mentioned at the beginning of this film was that can these guys who are Logan Lucky, the, the sort of, uh, dimwitted, uh, brothers pull off this heist. And for some reason, the movie enables them to be, um, uh, you know, ocean. It, it, enables them, it, it enables them. I forgot, uh, ocean. It was a Johnny ocean. No, I forgot what ocean's name is. Danny ocean yep. enables them to be Danny ocean and Brad Pitt. I forgot his name in the film as well. Let's call him Brad uh, Pitt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in this NASCAR heist, we're in that they, not only they know every single angle, nothing quite goes wrong for them in this film. And, and, and then, which is, <sighs> Which is fine. We're getting I, into spoilers now. Let's just let's uh, just well, keep I it. I haven't given a spoiler yet. I know, but I think it, it, to get further into what you're saying, I yeah. think some facts might have to be yeah, del yeah. deluged. But then also, there's a lack of motivation to why this heist is so important to these characters. Like all, as far as we know, it's just money. Um, but 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 at some point in this film, we these characters admit or acknowledge they could just go get another job. Uh, and, and one of them does. And, and so why is it so important that they go and pull off this crazy heist, which has got so many risks attached to it, which is going to, if that goes wrong, lands them in jail. So I have a, I have a theory. Okay. 
Um, so just to, to sort of, you know, it's, it's about, um, it's about Jimmy and Dylan Logan played by Channing Tatum and, and uh, um, Adam driver, Adam driver. Yeah. Now, Adam Driver is a one-armed war vet who works at a bar called Duct Tape, which I just, I would drink in Duct Tape every night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, Jimmy got fired from his, um, his, I guess, mining? Yeah. Or no, no, no. no, no, no. You, they uh, were no. construction because they were fixing they the They were fixing pot. the sinkholes underneath the stadium. Yeah. Uh, it, oh, there was, because it was built on landfill. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because he had a limp, uh, they had to get rid of him for insurance reasons. And he previously was a college uh, star quarterback. Sure. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, that Channing Tatum was so, uh, Channing Tatum was great. Both, both of them were Adam driver, <laughs> Adam driver, man. Okay. Real quick. I'm sorry. Aside. Mm. I have all, I've been uh, opposed to Adam driver since girls. I hated him in girls. <laughs> and ever since then, he's just been doing such amazing work that like, I'm still like, ah, I didn't really like him as Kylo Ren, but like, no, he did a really good job. And then, oh shit. Like I didn't particularly love, um, uh, the Scorsese film silence silence. Yeah. Uh, but he did good in that too. And yeah. then like, this is, I'm just like, okay, this is, he's obviously an incredible talent. And in my own personal, whatever's I'm, I'm you wrong. Should, uh, you should watch while we're young, the Noah Baumbach film. You will hate him. Okay, great. So I can get back to, I can get back yeah, to yeah. homeostasis. Um, so, but the thing about this movie and, and that I found interesting before even the third act is you're right. They were talking about like, Oh, they could just get another job or whatever. And we blah, blah, blah. But the, the drive of this is, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy has a daughter named, Sadie. Yeah. Um, and who's adorable in the film. If you, if you like adorable kids in movies, then, uh, Farrah McKenzie, uh, definitely checks that box for you. Um, who's like, you know, adorable in all the, you know, the, the right ways. She's like entering a pageant and like, you know, just do it like whatever. And you can see in the beginning of the film, she's helping Jimmy fix a truck Yeah, and they have a really loving relationship. Now, um, Katie Holmes, who plays Jimmy's ex-wife, has a new family with a new husband and two new kids and they live in a big house and the new husband owns like a car lot and he's opening like another, another one or something. And, uh, they're moving to be closer to the new business that her new her husband, husband is what yeah. now, now Jimmy just got fired. Jimmy ha- can't make that much money that he needs to sort of stay near his family or even to hire a lawyer to fight against it. Mm-hmm. So, so when they, uh, when they're thinking about this heist and you could tell Jimmy had been thinking about it for a while. Cause he has like a funny list of like 10 things to do to pull off a heist on his refrigerator, which yeah. I thought, that was funny. Um, they plan on robbing the speedway on the slowest day mm-hmm. because, because Jimmy doesn't want, he's, he's, he's not greedy. That's the whole, and that's even a thing on his list. I think twice, like don't get greedy. Yeah. He wants to just make enough money and for him and whoever's sort of helping him to like get what he needs and then go from there. So couldn't he just get another, if he needs to be near close to his daughter, couldn't he just get a job close? Like he's not tied down by anything. No, but I think they just made it. They, they but like it was all happening so fast is what I was understanding. Right. I, and I, and I, no, look, I'm not saying thieving is obviously wrong. I'm not here to like, but, but I'm saying in this character's mind, yeah. he made these allocations where, okay, he's going to do a, a, a bad thing, yeah. but he's going to do it not, like he's not going to go over. He's not going to go crazy. He's going to do a smaller bad thing. And then as he gets people involved and there's a plan to get Joe bang out of prison for the day that involves getting Dylan, his brother locked up like there's it, as this is going. And then something happens in the film that makes it so they have to move the timetable. Oh, the construction company is pulling out because yeah. they're finishing early. Yeah. Uh, he has to move it up a week. Yeah. And to do that, that means it's going to be at the Coca-Cola 600, which is the largest event at the Charlotte Speedway. Mm-hmm. So now he's locked in. He has all these pieces moving yeah. and now he's locked in and other people who might not have 
have as uh, restrained things as him as his brother, like Joe Bang and Joe Bang's two very caricature and hilarious brothers. Yeah. Um, and even his sister to a point. Um, Played by Riley Kerr. Yeah, yeah. Who's great. Millie. Yeah. Uh, they're locked in. So they're just, they have, they have to move forward and, but, but, and, and then hold on. The, my last thing is, and we'll talk about the confusing a bit ending for me. Um, they move forward and you're, and I actually questioned until this, like the sort of twist at the end, I was like, wow, he, sh- he should have pulled out. You're absolutely right. They'd had that moment of, we could just get other jobs and blah, 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 blah. But then they outsmart, not only the system, but, but, they managed to just get what they need anyway at the end. Now, is it a clean way that the story gets us there? I'm not sure. But as far as a character motivation is concerned, I a hundred percent buy in that they made adjustments. They changed their plan, even internally with just the two brothers or just the Logan family. Mm -hmm. And then they managed to still only take exactly what they thought they needed. Right. So, so, and again, the way this is presented, not sure if it's perfect. Yeah. The, the way that the character, Characters are thinking about it. I think as far as that writing is concerned, it's fine. I, yeah, my problem is, is that, so for example, in uh, Ocean's Eleven, Danny Ocean is committing this heist because uh, the casino manager is marrying his ex-wife, who he wants to get back with. Uh, in Out of Sight, uh, when it's George Clooney again, um, <laughs> uh, when his character wants to rob a bank, it's because he realizes that there's no place for him in the in the, in the the ordinary world. So he, he he's just coming off a bad job interview and then he decides, fuck it, I'm going to go rob this bank. Um, and, and my problem here is is that there's no clear motivational line for Channing Tatum I think there to is. take this huge risk um, when at the end of the film he gets a job at Lowe's and uh, and says you know I hope they keep me on now now he's got money so he can just take that job but I but I don't see why it was so important to rob you know I, I don't know the exact amount they don't they even sort of they're coy about yeah. it in the film which is like what is the exact amount that was stolen it might be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars given that this 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 heist required so much so many moving parts from so many different people i would say it's a fair amount of money um but the, the- so 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 this notion that he has to do this to, in order to move closer to his daughter as opposed to just like getting like i'm saying i understand like the movie needs to needs to have you know, like it doesn't necessarily need a reason for uh, for him to for us to enjoy the eyes, and I still think there is pleasure to be had in this movie. As a, you know, Steven Soderbergh is very good at this sort of thing, as he's proven in four other movies by this point. But I, what I'm saying is, is that in this particular film, I don't think there's enough motivation to make that makes it make sense. What I, what I get towards the end of it, towards and and it's a uh, about 45 minutes of this movie is just the heist. Yeah, is that it's just we're just watching a heist being executed without really knowing why disagree it needs I think, to and, and I don't want I'm going to say something this is not uh, 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 an attack at you just know this going I don't know how else to say it I think I like that you got me on the defensive that, already that <laughs> argument is of is of is is that of a of a privileged argument right we, now both of us and both of us in, in what I'm going to say is as far as financially is concerned yes we we we're not we're not lavish by any means of the imagination yeah. but we're, we're not quite living paycheck to paycheck. And there are people, uh, so many people that have a worse financial situation than us. Right. I, and I don't know what that is like. Right. There, I mean, yeah, maybe he could go get a job, but they even say it's like part time when he works at Lowe's. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it's, and especially in the world that this movie shows us. Yeah. I don't think it's that easy. And it would be a thing where, yeah, he might be able to do that, but then he's away from his daughter for like eight months or like something. And he doesn't want to miss her growing up. Like, so I, I get it. And I, I don't, it, it's, it's problems that I see and no, I can't fully understand. Right. And that's why I think I just bought into it. Now there's also a, a secondary 
argument too, which is, again, we know I'm a character guy. These characters are all so great. Mm-hmm. I might be overlooking the flaw that you're seeing because I like the characters so much, just like I might be overlooking the confusing third act because the movie charmed me enough. It is is a charming film. So there's so I, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that made me not care, I, not care, or I can logic my way out of it. I guess my point is, is that there's two, there's two parts to this. One is that I think that there is a, a, a logic flaw that the film doesn't bother to explain. It's not like, you know, like you're talking about financial, our, our own personal yeah. financial situations. I, I'm not in the same financial p- uh, position that Walter White was in Breaking Bad, sure. but I understand why he does what he does. Cause they, they give it, they give us the explanations of it in this, partic- in this particular, and then there's a secondary part to this as well, which is that we also get the sense through this film that Channing Tatum's character is a mastermind upon masterminds. He's thought of every single angle yeah. and every other character thinks he's a dimwit. So I'm kind of like, well, why, what is the character motivation that gives us that? And I don't think it's present in this film. So, so that's problematic to me. Okay. The, the second, the, the, then just the, the, the other part of this is that um, I think generally this is a, a rehash. It's a calculated rehash of oceans 11, the most successful film that Steven Soderbergh has done. And I think it's, it's a, it's, it, it falls slightly into the category, for me personally of, of Soderbergh phoning it in, um, which is that it, it's, and again, phoning it in is probably the wrong term because you know, him phoning it in, he's listening, he's going to be pissed or he'll be like, you're right. You're here. I can't believe you know me so well. Perhaps we should get dinner sometime. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, but, but I, you know, like I would, he, he made a film a few years ago called Haywire, which yes. is, uh, uh, introduced us to, was her name? Gina Corallo, mm-hmm. the, Something, the, yeah, the MMA fighter. Yeah, yeah. It's not a great film. It's not, it, in fact, it's, it's not, a, it's not, it's one of his not, not so great movies, but I watched that movie and I go, I know why he made this movie. It's really, it's really a chance to showcase her and, and it's really an opportunity to do something exciting that he hasn't done before. And in the case of, of this film, I think the 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 risk and the importance of like studio financing itself has meant that he's kind of leant back on on what he did with the Oceans film. I have a question for you. Yeah. And I don't know the answer. This is not leading. I am legitimately interested. Okay. Do you think mm-hmm. that you're so like just neck deep in, in Soderbergh lore Soderbergh and, and, your, and your love? No, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. That's not even trying to make that joke. Like the, do you think that that, the fact that you live, breathe this, this person in their career, do you think that hurts your ability to just go along and enjoy this ride? I think it's an enjoyable film. I okay. do, I do okay. think it's an enjoyable film. My pro, my my thing here is is that Soderbergh works on two levels, which is one is that he makes populist enjoyable films mm-hmm. like the Ocean's Film, which I enjoy mm-hmm. and I think is a good movie. Sure. Uh, and then the other side is the experimental, you know, like let's make yeah, yeah, something yeah. strange. And weird. So on that first side, yeah, which is what this movie falls into. Yes. Um, I think it's an enjoyable film. I think the first half of it is a little long. I think it's a little I slow, like it. a little slow before the heist gets going. Development, baby. Um, but I think the film is a little undercooked. I genuinely think it's a little mm. undercooked. I think it's an okay movie. Okay. Um, and 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 my my the the so that that's just watching it on a per, you know like on a, a, as a as a reviewer as a person watching a movie. I think this is a sort of a a hot and a little bit undercooked but pleasurable. See, it's funny. I think I agree with that to a point. I think the parts that we think are under 
cooked are the exact opposite parts that are uh, that because that, you, you're saying you have a little bit of trouble with the beginning and sort of the motivations and whatnot, which I don't have a problem with right. at all. I have a problem with the end. Well, the end ties up the motivations a little bit. As yes. Well. But so, so I, I okay. Just, and, and, oh. But then just finally is that if the thing I would have liked to have seen is if you're going to go out on a limb, the, the, there should be a little bit of a, you know, for the heist in the heist genre, there's always the one last heist kind of idea. You know, like the one last. <laughs> I got one more in. I, me. I got one more in me. I'm going to pull off, the, and it ends up being the greatest heist I've ever pulled. Yeah. And and I think if if Steven Soderbergh is going to, you know, like if he's, you know, he said himself that he thinks he might be on the back nine of his career. Um, is if that he a sports reference? Yes, it is golf. Okay. <laughs> uh, if uh, if he genuinely thinks that, I want him to go out with something that is new and ex and especially if he's going to like use this model of economics and finance that is that is new and uh, and 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 untried before i want him to do something strange and unusual and i think also well you gotta it, meta this shahir you gotta you gotta look at it from the big picture yeah. he's gonna be able to do that because he did this i i don't think he needs to do this and 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 the thing is is i do think this is a bit of a rehash of oceans 11 uh just sit in the in in the northeast to be uh, honest and i don't know it might just because it has a new movie shine to it yeah. i like it better than oceans 11 that but but it, but you see what i'm saying it's not like the limey or it's not like out of sight or it's not like the girlfriend experience it's not like it's no, not like, it's, no, it's, no, no. It's, it's not it's it's kind of in that zone and and the last time i saw him do that kind of film was Ocean's 13, which is a film where I watched it and went, uh, we've kind of done this before. I don't really need this movie. Okay. Um, and look, there are pleasures to be had. I wish this movie every success. I really do. I want this movie to set the way for the future. Well, you're not acting like <laughs> yeah, it. But, but, but as a movie on its own terms, I do think it's slightly undercooked. Um, it is, it rehashes territory that I think as you know, we've seen in other movies and we've seen in his movies before. And, um, and I think it lacks some, some motivational impact, which could have made it great. Um, and that's, that's where I land on it, but there are pleasures to be had. He's, you know, he's fucking good at making these kinds of movies. Um, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 and Daniel Craig steals every scene. He's so in, you know, like just so that. Good. And it, it reminded me as well as like, you know, I think, um, you know, cause this movie has so many big name actors in it kind of, you know, it's kind of like Smokey and the Bandit or something like yes. that. Or, you know, like yes. it's, it's got so many like people who are just willing to drop into this movie. Uh, because, oh, because you know who I didn't like? Yeah. Uh, it was Hillary Swank. Yeah. Yeah, but and like, it was because but it of the, Swank. It was because of the silly accent. The, this now I'm a now I'm a, a fed, so I'm gonna talk like this. Like I, I was like, Ugh, that fell into Seth MacFarlane territory for me. Um, um, I just you know like, but but it's got so, you know, but Seth MacFarlane drops into this movie. Now he de de detracts from what this movie is. Clearly, he's the, so the in terms of like, I know I'm making it sound like a bad movie. The only thing that's bad in it is Seth MacFarlane. He is the only thing that detracts <laughs> from the movie as a movie going experience. Cause he doesn't feel like he fits. Yeah. He doesn't feel like he's in this world and, and whatever he's doing doesn't work. Now granted he's an outside as a character, he's an outsider to these people, but you still want to make the world believable. And the only time I didn't believe what was going on was when he was on screen. Exactly. Exactly. So he's the only part of this movie. That's not, you know, like that, that, that would be a reason not to spend your money on this movie, but that's such a tiny part of the movie that, that, that that's not the case. The movie works very, very well and it is pleasurable and it is enjoyable. Uh, it's just, um, okay. So, so 
Okay, I got to talk about the ending. Okay, uh, let's could, go jump right into spoiler. Could, could you down. explain the ending to me? How so, what you thought? Because I, so the heist happens, but yeah. then uh, he gives supposedly he has a change of heart. Uh, Jimmy does mm. what? So that's what you're led to believe. That's yeah. what the story yeah. leads you to believe. He had a change of heart after like seeing his or which but, is why I don't understand why like people aren't coming to kill him right away. Yeah, I don't I don't know. This heist also requires a lot of things happening, a lot of moving parts where Well they so, all these things do. But but there are some moving parts in here which have no correlation to the heist itself. Like for example, the warden of the prison not calling in the uh the 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 fact that there's a prison riot at his prison like really helps the heist move along. Sure. The, the, and, and it's it's well, sort of like, it's, Hey, Logan, lucky baby. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm not saying luck did not play into this plan, but th- whatever. So it, it's, it's happened. And then why it, okay. Why in the story before we learn the twist, yeah. are we told as an audience that he's going to give the money back? or leave the money and make an anonymous call to give the money back to the speed. Well, say that again. Why? So why, why does Jimmy yeah. quote, give the money back? Why are we led to believe he does that? It's something with his daughter, correct? Or something or, or well, just no, too much go wrong. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Uh, no, well, the reason there was a couple of reasons I thought that he might've done it. I mean, it changes as you're watching as well. I thought that the, the fact that they couldn't get back the brother's arm might've meant that they, that he knew they were going to get caught. So if you right. just give the money back, at least, you know, like they probably mm-hmm. won't pursue them as much. That nope. was one reason. Okay. The second reason was the don't get greedy kind of thing. The third reason is this kind of unmotivated character part where I was like, Oh, is this, is this, is this the thing that we, we we're coming to learn about Jimmy, which is that he wants to prove that he can do this, but he doesn't actually want to do it. Uh, again, okay. none, of, none of those things ring true because, because what does actually end up happening is that this was part of the plan all along. And you know, it's kind of like the oceans of living. And, and this I, is that, this is that part where it's like Jimmy, this character who we know is kind of like, um, you know, a failed college athlete who works these sort of like blue collar jobs seemingly is a, a a mastermind is a psychological mastermind. So I never had a I never had a problem making that jump because I think that while his the, the walks in life that he's mm-hmm. taken and and the things that have happened to him at least what was presented that's one thing about him. But like people like people but in there's re- nothing in the movie that says yes there is yeah. like people in real life. Uh, every interaction he has with like another character, even though he's talking with a drawl and might say things a little bit slower, like it's they, not the, it's not the, it's not the accent. It's not the drawl, but, but, it, no, but let me finish the, mm-hmm. the, the things that everything that happens, even small interactions with people and other characters as him, I buy that there is a lot going on, not to make a pun that makes sense, but under the hood, I buy that he could be this and just give him the right shot. He knows what to do. Do you remember? (laughs) with uh, that was not where I thought you were going. uh, The, the John Boyega character gets handed a lightsaber, uh, gets handed a lightsaber and suddenly he wields it against, uh, it was a captain phasma or some, no, it's a random stormtrooper. But isn't it like a stormtrooper? The stormtrooper has like a, a electro baton. Yeah, but but like is a is a clearly trained stormtrooper, and all of a sudden Finn, who's never wielded a lightsaber in his life, is battling kind of effectively, right? And doesn't he well, battle? And doesn't he battle uh, Kylo Ren at the end as well? No, uh, very briefly. But Kylo whoops him. Right. So, but but this is my point well, about my point is this is yeah. is that that Jimmy like figuring out all the angles kind of comes at me like 
like Finn suddenly wielding the lightsaber like he's a master. Well, I disagree because there are subtleties in that scene where he's fighting the stormtrooper. One, no matter how many times that stormtrooper twirls that electrobaton, it's still a stormtrooper, so fuck him. Two, uh, he always when uh, when uh, Finn, a stormtrooper we've never seen before. Doesn't matter. Style that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Stormtrooper expendable. So it's main character versus expendable. Two, that fight. Finn was a stormtrooper, wasn't he? Yes, but he's now a main character. Follow along. So so <laughs> I love I love how I can just bring up an analogy for the sake of being an analogy. And but now I have to. And you'll just go deep yeah, dive into that film. So, so, but Finn, that entire fight is not on the offensive. Okay. He's only def- defending and he's not doing a great job at it. If you remember. Okay, so, so if you handed me a lightsaber right now, uh, you think I would be able to fight, you know, you, cause you said one of the things in real life is that people demonstrate skills that are, you would, you'd be surprised about. If you handed me a lightsaber right now, would you be surprised if I suddenly could fight? I mean, only because I know that you were almost a black power ranger would I not be surprised <laughs> right. that you knew how to fight. Right. Um, I feel like we're losing the analogy with all these analogies, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, and I appreciate you trying to bring it back to a place where yeah. my Disney brain can handle it. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like, again, I never doubted for a moment that there was more going on in this guy's head than than was j- than what was being presented sort of from a dialogue perspective. I And and to that point, I, I agree. And I agree if you can. That's Channing Tatum's work too. Like, yeah. And this scene you know it's it's one of these things what i love uh that that this film does that so few films do is that it has a moment of silence where channing tatum uh, after he's been fired is driving his car back and and um he's driving and i and and i have got this dread in my mind that he's going to crash his car or he's going to do something hmm. really stupid he's just been fired he's angry he flings the the helmet in but instead what he does is he takes out his john denver cd and he plays it and he just kind of sit and the movie just sits there silently with him for a few moments yeah as he drives along. And it's, I mean, if that, if that moment of silence is enough to kind of get you into his headspace and to make it, make you believe it, then I think then that works. I find that that it, it, there's still a lack of motivation for why, not, not just why he does it. I can, I can kind of jump the shark to like why he does it. Cause money is a, is a universal motivator. What I can't, what, what my brain struggles with is the film letting me know that, Oh, this guy, you know, we, we've all thought he was a little bit of a doofus or, you know, like his, his character, you know, cause I think at one point, um, John Bang, uh, Joey, Joe Bang says, you know, everyone says you're an, you know, everyone says you guys are dim witted and yeah, he goes, dim-witted. you guys are as dim witted as everyone says yeah. we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no point at which where we, where there's evidence provided enough to make us believe the leap that I think there are. that this guy not only knew how to uh, ro- steal from the NASCAR, you know, the Coca-Cola 600, but also outwit the NASCAR industry uh, in terms of getting an insurance payout so that he would not be caught, you know, and, and outwitting the FBI. They, there's they, luck moments in this movie yeah. and there's, and there's outwitting. Yeah. The reason I think a character, the way he played the character made me believe he was smarter than he was presented. B, uh, he actually had all the information to make all of these with the exception of the insurance thing. Maybe he just knew how insurance worked and yeah. it wouldn't be an actual hurt of actual person for a bit, but like they accidentally blast into that room when they're working there. So he sees the room. He yeah. puts the pieces I, together. He understand. has access and understanding to the location of like, he couldn't just go rob a bank. He knows that he doesn't know how banks work, but he knows that that entire construction site, like the back of his hand. And he knows that he found the place where the money goes. Does he so know, like, does he know how prison operations run? Uh, actually, yes. They talk about it because um, the, 
uh, so one of the characters would spent some time in prison. They like there was a whole. But thing does he about know it. that the warden wouldn't call in? No, that's luck. That's luck. I mean, but but that but the thing I can still see. And again, now we're getting real nitty gritty. I have one more question I want to ask before the end of this. But the the that's just sort of that just helps it. Even if the warden had called that in, you could you could. There's a way to write that story where it still doesn't matter. And that would be a thematic point to this film that I think would be interesting if the warden had called it in and they weren't expecting. The other thing about this movie is the heist goes off pretty much without a hitch. Well, there's a lot of hitches. Actually, they run into the, they run into Seth MacFarlane's character. They have people that can but, identify what them it, on the scene. What does that, that have do? history with them. Well, what does that do? I thought, and this is where, this is again, one of the things that I thought got confusing was I thought that that like, one of the reasons he gave the, gave quote, gave the money back was uh, because there was just too much, too many people saw them too much kind of went wrong. The arm, yeah. them running into them in, in the basement, uh, a couple people seeing, uh, I think the, uh, the sister at one point, like it's just, there's too, there was too much. And he's like, nope, I no. So that's kind of what I thought maybe, but hold on. The, 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 we're going a little long on the tooth in this. The, the last question is, so what, actually happens he quote gives the money back but no he didn't give he didn't give all of it back. right so so that's where i I got confused so what happened was was that (laughs) again this is the perfect uh, what had happened was (laughs) the perfect complicated plan is that remember the 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 door wouldn't open uh the fence wouldn't open you know and they were trying to figure out how to yeah so Again, he knew all the angles. So he he knew the guy inside who was smoking who put that little uh, be- buzzer beater thing there so that the door wouldn't open. Yep. This is, again, we hope you've seen the movie at this point. Yeah. He goes in, he opens the door, which allows Riley Kerr, his sister, to come in and take his place. And then the three the three siblings are just the ones left over while the brothers, while the other- But why does that even matter? Because the plan was the two brothers were going to move them anyway. Riley Kerr, Oh, I think I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, Millie. Assist, Millie takes the takes the garbage. They go and collect extra money, put them into garbage bags, which then his man on the inside actually tosses out with the trash. So his plan all along that we're, we're presented, yeah. it, despite how it this happens. Is the classic oceans like, uh, you thought I was stealing this, I'm actually stealing this. But it's just instead of stealing this money, you're stealing that, that money. money. That's what it was. And then he he put it into, they, they threw it out with the trash with these like solid uh, tags. Yeah, and they he, threw it into a landfill. They throw it into a landfill. And then this is the other part of like his genius plan. Now this part, he does explain at the end of the movie, which is that he waited until his cell phone was stopped being, was switched off. That's what it was. And then he went back to dig up the money. Now, of course, I don't know why all these people, these hardened criminals that he had basically enlisted like an entire prison riots on the bay. On the well, he pays <laughs> off the guy who did the prison riot, which is fine. But, it, but and, and he pays one, off Joe bang in a, in a very nice way that falls with this story. The two but brothers, none of, but none of them know about it. And, and we presume that this time period is like an extended time period because it was like 60 days for the thing. Yeah, yeah. Was- and I think this is an editing problem. The, the Joe bang, even when he gets out, cause he's not presented with the money as straight away as say the guy who does the prison riot. Yeah. And we learn about later. It's kind of shows after that because of the, the release schedule of yeah. these people. Joe Bang is pissed off because and he's like, he goes to try to find him. He goes and talks and to, he talks to the brother. Dylan. who's like, and who's like, like I've never and, seen him. And every character is like, not even he goes, uh, Jimmy goes to visit his sister at the salon and she pushes him away. Um, I think that was again, part of the plan to look like they were all mad at him. But again, so this look, I'm, I'm not saying that the ending is clean. In fact, I had a, I had an issue with it. I yeah. just, uh, uh, I just was curious exactly. And that you've kind of cleared it up for me a bit. I was just a little bit concerned about the the who and the and, what and then the and then you know like the the stealing this amount of money versus like giving back that amount of money and then hoping that the insurance pays off the difference you know like it, it and that will be the reason why the FBI will stop chasing them it's it's kind of a 
it's a it's a pretty big leap of faith. You could also you could also take it, and I see what you're saying, but you could also take it as he thought that maybe because they wouldn't have any idea because they blew those credit card machines and it was all cash and they'd have no idea how to how to figure out how much money was made that day until they counted it, right. that it, beyond insurance or beyond whatever, he's not thinking about insurance. He's thinking if he leaves a super large sum of money somewhere, yeah. then that will be enough to get whoever's looking for them off of the case while still taking just what he had planned to take from the shitty day that they had originally planned to do. Again, he's he's northern, you know, like eastern Danny Ocean at this point, you know, like he... and yeah, Danny, but Danny Ocean, Danny Ocean's fucking it's, it's the same thing. Anyone, any, no, but Danny Ocean's in prison because he is a bank. He's a bank robber. He's known for doing that. He's known this crew. He's known for assembling that. There's no reason for this character in this film, at least to know that he is capable of all, these but also things. think about the beginning of Danny Ocean and how he had to have just started robbing banks at some point and do it very successfully to get a crew. And then eventually got caught. Like it's the same shit. We're just seeing the, the birthing point of that from a different perspective. And and look, I appreciate that you're kind of like forgiving the film because it is pleasurable. Like there is, it is, it is a fun experience to watch and everyone's having fun in the movie. I, uh, my hot take on this is, uh, hot take is I love oceans 12. I think oceans 12 (laughs) is the least liked, uh, oceans film, but I think it's, it's, we've already gone through the setup and the movie just gets so ridiculous and weird and strange that I kind of love it. He's not doing the female reboot. No, he's producing it. But, uh, Gary Ross, who directed the first Hunger Games movie in Pleasantville was directing. Aquafina of Girl Code, yeah, uh, yeah. Girl Code fame, well, famous more places than Girl Code, but uh, yeah. one of my old cast members. I love her. She's, I'm she's, loving that she's killing it out there. Yeah, she's going to be in the, on screen with Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Um, there, uh, there's a uh, there's a fun little short film that came out this week on Short of the Week, uh, which Ivan Kanda, who is our friend from the Reviewed Podcast Reviewed, called The Heist, which... Uh, parodies uh the the assembly of a crew um uh oh, movie fun. from from uh, from high so check that out it is a fun it, it, it points to the kind of the the well-worn tropes that this film kind of plays in oh i uh, like i like well-worn tropes that means the tropes are warm and comfortable and you can curl up with them and, and enjoy it and, and, and again right I, by a fire i appreciate that that you're willing to to let those things go i think for me they're they point to kind of um, the the my overall thesis about this film, which is that it is a calculated, uh, it is a calculated experience. That one that doesn't isn't as bold as I kind of hoped it would be, given what he's trying to do. He didn't calculate for you, did he? he didn't calculate for me. Oh am, man, maybe I'm, he should listen more. I am the outlier. Um, so, all right, so that's kind of your final thought, right? I mean, I kind of I, I liked it. I, yeah. I thought, I think you should go see it. I think you should give it your money. I think you'll enjoy it. And this is another, this is the other thing about this movie uh, that I think is not enough. It doesn't happen enough these days. Um, it's a movie that I could unequivocally <laughs> recommend to anybody who mm. likes watching movies. Mm. Like, even if I know they only like this or like that or whatever, I could be like, you'll like Logan Lucky. Like you'll like it. Yeah. And there's, there's something about, now, obviously, there's the argument, and I do agree with this, where if something is uh, enjoyable by a, uh, by everybody, it's not going to be the most beloved thing by anybody. Does that right. make yeah, sense? And I think that's what he's and I think and that's, that's what he's what, doing. That's what he's aiming for. Because it's it smart. I know it didn't land. Though. I know. But that yeah. could be miscalculations with the actual marketing, which yeah. I appreciated or like things like that. So but but I could say if someone said, hey, what movie should I see right now? That would be the one where to any like where like, for instance, certain people, I would say uh, this film or that film because I know they're 
likes and dislikes and where they fall on the spectrum. But if I had to just, if I had one movie to recommend to everybody, it would be, uh, Logan Lucky. Right. Um, and, but, you know, again, not without its flaws. We've talked about it. Anyway, uh, sh- this has been the only podcast about Logan Lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've had some, some good conversations. Steven, if you haven't tuned out by now, <laughs> uh, I can give you, well, actually, how could, how could, how could you get in touch with Shahir? You're probably wondering. He's going to tell you right now. He's going to be hitting me up on Twitter going, you fuck, who the fuck? How does he do it? He wants to know. He could, uh, do, uh, me personally or uh, you, you, uh, me, you. Me personally, ShahirDowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Uh, Steven, I was that weird guy at the, uh, the suture event. I bet you were uh, <laughs> that, that, that you probably were trying to get away from. Um, you can also reach us at uh, Only Movie Podcast. Steven Soderbergh, write us in. Tell us why we're wrong about your movie. Don't write us in, <laughs> write Shahir. <laughs> specifically, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I, being who I am, will try and debate you on that debate oh. you about your own career oh if you do you have no idea what you're getting into uh you can find me at emperor msk on twitter skeletor the number four prez on instagram or matthewkroll.com for my life and works um thank you so much everybody for listening uh we love yeah, to we have do? you what are we, next week are we kind of going back in time with a with a cybernetic organism i would like to i would like to go back in time with a cybernetic organism okay i guess that's that's I what guess, we're doing I, I love that we decided this right now but i i am down yeah. Uh, right. Uh, okay. So for anyone right now, go see, I mean, if you haven't seen Terminator two, you're, you're, you're a fool, but also it's available now in 3d. If that's your deal. I'm so curious. Uh, I, I am not going to see it in 3d. I'm just going to watch it at home. Okay. Um, well, fine. I guess I'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. You uh, but Hey, listen, I know now why you cry. you here. Uh, and it's something I can never do. I know. All <laughs> right. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.